Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 47. Welcome back to the Medical School HQ Podcast. This is the place to learn how to excel as a pre-med student, learn what it takes to survive medical school, and turn your dream of becoming a physician into reality. We're bringing you the most up-to-date, unbiased, and honest information available online. My name, as always, is Ryan Gray. Hasn't changed. And I'm excited to bring another podcast interview to you today. It's been a little while since I've had an interview. It's been a lot of Allison and myself going back and forth. And I hope you enjoy that format of a podcast. But I enjoy doing these interviews and I'm able to reach out and talk to some of the best people out there that I think you should listen to to get the information you need to survive the process of being a pre-med and being a medical student and being a resident. And today I have one of those guests on with me. I have Dr. Dyke Drummond. He helps physicians and medical students and, and others in the medical world how to handle their stress and and handle their burnout. And so I brought him on because physician burnout is a real thing. And medical student burnout is a real thing. So I reached out to him and got him to come and share a lot of great information that I think even as a pre-med, a medical student, you will be able to take a lot of this information. And as you move forward through the process, you can hopefully prevent a lot of the burnout that is affecting one in three physicians. So we'll get into that. But first... This podcast is brought to you by the Academy at Medical School Headquarters, an online membership site for helping you through the pre-med process. With monthly office hours, webinars, and a growing library of video and audio interviews and courses, it is a vital tool to help you get into and through medical school. Just go to jointheacademy.net for more information. And by the way, if you are already a member, be sure to keep a lookout for our live webinar we have coming up with the Princeton Review all about the MCAT. 
Also, one other thing I like to do is say thank you to all the five-star ratings and reviews that were left for us this week. We're up to 91 five-star ratings, and that's just phenomenal. I don't know what we're going to do when we hit 100, but if you want to help push us over that 100 mark, that would be amazing, and we'll have to do something special for 100. I think that's a that's something I don't think we ever thought about uh, when we started this podcast, so thank you. This week, we had four new amazing five-star reviews. Crazy4Med says, best podcast out there. Kalina Anderson says, definitely check it out. She also said that she, she starts off by saying, awesome podcast, so I gave into the hassling to write a review. I'm sorry if I've been hassling. I just ask for some love in return. And uh, Study Here I Come says, unlike any others. And Johnny Socks 8 says, the best. He, said, he calls us the anti-SDN. Thank you, Johnny Socks 8 You get me. If you haven't yet, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and that'll bring you into iTunes to leave a rating and review. We greatly appreciate everything you do for us, and leaving that rating and review makes us a little bit more visible in iTunes. So thank you to all of those that have left a review and a rating, and thank you to all those that will. So let's get into the interview with Dr. Drummond. He's a family practice-trained physician who three years ago started thehappymd.com. And at this site, he takes his personal experience of burnout and with the skills that he's learned over the years, helps current physicians and others seeking his help how to prevent and how to get through the burnout stages of life and and hopefully start enjoying their job again because as physicians we we go into it with the best of intentions best of intentions to heal another human being and somewhere along the the way we we get jaded we always say that the medical education process makes physicians jaded and Dr. Drummond and I talk a lot about why that is and ways to prevent it. So hopefully you'll get a ton of great information out of it. I, I know you will. We start the interview by talking about exactly what burnout is. Burnout is actually a, a, a cluster of symptoms, and it's measured usually by something called the MASLAC. That's spelled M-A-S-L-A-C-H, MASLAC Burnout Inventory, named after a researcher named Christina Maslach, who started measuring burnout in people in the 1970s. And she was measuring career burnout. It wasn't necessarily in medicine. And she looked at three different scales. Scale number one was a measurement of exhaustion. So there were several questions on this 14-item survey that asked you about how tired you were and whether you were able to recover. Um, I consider burnout when you're in a downward spiral. If you're just stressed, you'll have a rough shift or a rough week, and you'll have the weekend, and you'll feel better on Monday. But in burnout, you're on a downward spiral trajectory, and it's just getting worse and worse. So exhaustion is one thing that's measured. The second one is called depersonalization. And this is where people start getting really sarcastic and cynical and blaming their patients. It's also known as compassion fatigue. And then the third symptom is what she called, Christina Maslach called, lack of efficacy, which means you begin to doubt that you're doing good work. You begin to doubt that the work that you are doing makes any difference. So when a person is burned out, they are 
tired in a way that they're not recovering and they're in a downward spiral. They're cynical and sarcastic and they're doubting the value of the work that they do. That's burnout. It's different than stress. And if it's not taken care of, it can go any one of a number of different ways from there. Would would the definition of, I guess not the definition, but would stress be a precursor to burnout? Yeah, stress is actually the cause of burnout. I always use a disease paradigm, right? The thing that really messes doctors and healthcare people up is if they decide to have a discussion about burnout, but then they start to use the word wellness because nobody knows what wellness means. So if we stay in a disease paradigm, the risk factor is stress. The disease it causes is burnout. And um, so if we look at the causes of burnout, it's always things that are stressful for that person. Everybody's a little bit different, but the stresses in medicine are pretty well understood. And, um, but stress is the risk factor and the cause, and burnout is the disease, if you want to look at it that way. Okay. When has, has this whole physician burnout become so popular, or why has it become so popular? Well, um, I, I can't speak for in days of yore, <laughs> but I can tell you that physician burnout prevalence surveys have been being done for over 20 years. And ever since it has begun, the surveys are really, really constant. They show that on average, uh, one in three practicing doctors is suffering from symptomatic burnout on any given office day. So that's an average. Some surveyed populations are lower and some are much higher. And the average is really interesting in that it is regardless of country and regardless of specialty. So if I was to survey American surgeons and Finnish dermatologists and Japanese ENT doctors, I would expect all of those surveys to show about between 20 and 40% of them suffering from burnout. So it's incredibly constant. It appears to be independent of the delivery system since in Japan and Finland and America, they're very different delivery systems and it's independent of your specialty. So it's something about something to do with either the journey to become a doctor or the practice of medicine that's the cause. The challenge right now is that what you've got is a whole bunch of large organizations in all sorts of different countries. So for instance, National Health Service in England and other places that employ all the doctors. And now in America, there's a huge consolidation move. A lot of big practices are forming in response to the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act. And what happens is you've got these organizations all of a sudden responsible for great big groups of doctors. And they're noticing they aren't really very happy. And they're noticing that in order to offer quality care and to focus on patient satisfaction, some organizations are becoming aware of the fact that, hey, if your doctors are not having a good time at work, it's really hard to get those things that you really want in your organization. So I think there's a very small number of organizations that are noticing that it takes happy doctors to have happy patients. And when it comes to energy and involvement and engagement at work, um, you can't give what you ain't got. So if your doctors are all running on empty, it's really hard for them to put things into their work. Um, I'm glad you, you were able to speak to the fact that this has been going on for 20-some-odd years and that it's not just electronic medical records and it's not just the new uh, insurance policies. And it, it, there seems to be a lot of blame placed on what's going on today, but you think it's more a a 
symptom of just being a physician in general? Well, there are certain things about the American healthcare environment and the acceleration of change that's happened recently with the overlay of big data and EMR getting between you and your patient, that kind of stuff. Those are additional stresses, but let's just be for real. Here's, here is why burnout gets set up to be more frequent in the helping professions than, let's say, in somebody who works on an assembly line in a manufacturing concern. So if you think about it, one of the messages that you get, and a lot of what causes burnout is very unconscious. It's part of programming we take on in our training. If you think about it, there are a number of professions where one of the prime directives is the patient comes first. That's what we say in healthcare. If you're a hotel operator or a restaurateur, your client comes first. The client is always right, right? You've heard this, right? Mm-hmm. In um, law enforcement and uh, military, you're always putting yourself in a, a place of putting the citizen and the, the people of your country first. So if you look at burnout rates in all those professions, they're higher. Why? Because we've said that somebody else's needs are more important than mine. So what that does is make it difficult for one, me to recognize my needs, makes it darn difficult for me to address them, my own needs for sleep and rest and my emotional self-care and my spiritual self-care. Because why? The patient comes first. Example, and if there are medical students and, and, and pre-med folks listening, there's going to be a time, okay, when you're going to be really tired and you're going to really have to go to the bathroom and you haven't eaten in about 12 hours. And you know what? The person who is your mentor and your educator at that point in time is not going to care how long it's been since you ate or peed or had something to eat. If there's a patient to be seen, guess what you're going to do? You're going to take care of them Mm -hmm. because the patient comes first. So it creates this blind spot that underlies everything else, okay? The other thing to remember is that as physicians, we are not in the restaurant business. People don't come to see us because they want to have a good time. They're hurting. They're scared. They're in pain, right? They're potentially dying. If they're not dying now, you could do something that could accelerate that. You know, all this is really stressful because we're making important decisions around things that are life-altering. So the programming we have to put the patient first blinds us to our own self-care needs. It's a difficult job to do in the first place. Then go ahead and add EMR on the top of it. Okay, and then how about this? Check this out. Then you come home and you're supposed to be available for your kids and your spouse. Right, And you're supposed to be able to have some time to work out so you don't get a great big pot belly by the time you're 35. Yeah. I, could go on, I could go on and on, but it's layer after layer. It's always multifactorial. So if you were to look at men and women, do you see a difference there in burnout rates? Um, there isn't particularly a difference in burnout rates. However, there is evidence, both based on my experience working with these people and a research paper that came out in 2012, that, that male and female physicians experience burnout differently, which you would expect, right? I was practicing medicine when the first evidence came out that men and women experience coronary artery disease differently. You know, it had to be true, but we only first got that data a little while ago. So here's how it works. On average, everybody's different, but on average, if you look at the symptoms of the Maslach burnout inventory, it goes one, exhaustion, two, cynicism, sarcasm, three, what's the use, right? And if you look at the way women experience burnout, female physicians, they tend to have it happen in that order. They become exhausted, 
they, they, their ability to be compassionate runs out and they start to be cynical and sarcastic. By the way, that's a dysfunctional coping mechanism because you're not supposed to be cynical and sarcastic to the people that you put first. So it, it feels good for a second or two and then it actually makes things worse. And then last, they start to question the quality of their work. And then here's what women, where women do something that men don't. They ask for help or they tell somebody that they're not doing well. By the way, one of the other prime directives for doctors is never show weakness. Yeah. So it's really against a physician's programming to say, hey, I'm not doing so hot. Uh, I think I need a break. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I wonder if there's anybody I can talk to. That's totally foreign for a doctor to ask for help like that. But women will much more often than men. As an example, my website is all about burnout prevention and treatment, and it's visible to anybody on the web. But the clients, my clients who hire me to be their coach, 85% of them are women. Interesting. And, and it, you think it's because they're the ones, they, it, just like men don't like to ask for directions, they're, not, yep. they're, they're out there, but they're just not asking for help. Well, here's what's interesting. If you look at the male data from that same study, it showed that men go cynical and sarcastic first. Then they become exhausted. This is on average. But that third step where you start to doubt the value of your work, right, they never get there. So what that leads to is something that's really common if you're around um, established hospital staffs. There's, a, there's some guys, it's always guys, always in their 50s, always pretty good doctors, right, terribly burned out, incredibly cynical and sarcastic, but they never stop coming into work because they look in the mirror, they suck their gut in, and they say, yeah, I'm still doing good work, though. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I believe that that predilection for men to not ask for directions and the predilection to not ask for help is actually a neuro and neuroanatomical thing. It's a difference in the structure of our brain. <laughs> it's, it's that darn testosterone. Well, it's the corpus callosum. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the negative effect of, of testosterone on the corpus callosum. So women tend to clatch and talk and group and help each other and men just don't. Yeah. And that's for any species of mammal, you know, mm -hmm. we, com we compete, right? So like that. So just, just randomly, uh, something that popped into my head as you talked about men never really doubting the quality of their work. Have there been any studies with um, any sort of uh, medical error rates higher in men that are more burned out? Well, the error rate, um, so, so let me tell you the things that have been linked to um, higher levels of burnout. And there's no controversy about any of this. It's a solid research link. It's pretty damning, too, just, just so you know, get ready to hold on to your horses here. So medical error rates are higher the more burned out you are. Mm -hmm. um, people have looked at um, medical protocols where you're supposed to follow a particular algorithm and, and it's a variation in the standard of care. The variation in the standard of care is wider in a burned out population. P patient satisfaction rates go down according to the burnout of the doctor. Um, turnover rates both for the physician and the staff members, the people who support that physician, go up with burnout. Malpractice risk goes up as burnout rates go up. Divorce, drug and alcohol addiction, and suicide all go up and track with burnout. So it's an incredibly bad thing. It's, 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 I'm going to say some things that are, that are true. It's everywhere all the time. 
It's bad for the doctor, their patients, their family, the staff, and the organization that they work for. There's nothing good about it, which causes me to wonder always why it appears to be invisible. It's like an elephant that only I can see. What is that about? Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe you're the one that needs help. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's let's talk about what my audience maybe should be hearing and that's with a new generation of of physicians coming in, what can they be doing from day 1 that hopefully a, as we cycle through a generation of physicians we fix this? Yeah, there's some things that will be assumed in the background of what you're doing that will tend to program you to be certain ways. So when I see doctors on the far side, so typically the folks that I'm working with are hitting the age of 40 and another group that's hitting the age of 50. So they've been to medical school, they've been through residency, and they've been practicing medicine for a while. And they learn a series of coping mechanisms that turn into survival strategies. And if you've got a pen, you might want to write this down because here they are. The important thing is that you be aware of these as you go through your educational process because most doctors that I work with are unaware that these are operating in the background. So let me give them to you. Workaholic, superhero, emotion-free, lone ranger, perfectionist. Now, there are times, lots of times in your training, where you'll need to be a workaholic, superhero, lone free, emotion free, lone ranger, emotion free, perfectionist. It will work really well for you when you're studying or on your rounds or those kind of things. The key is I want you to know that they're a, they're a coping skill. They're, some, they're a tool. Imagine that they're like tools in a belt like a carpenter would wear. And ideally, you pull out perfectionist when you need it, like a tool, and you use it for what it's good for, and then you put it back again and you shut it off. The challenge becomes when you start to use these skills everywhere in your life. And then there's the two prime directives, which again are very, they drive everybody unconscious, so write these down too. Patient comes first, right? That's only true when you're standing in front of the patient. Otherwise, you come first, because you can't give what you ain't got. You have to take care of yourself. You can't take care of anybody else. What do they say on the airplane? If the plane were to crash, what do you, who gets their oxygen mask first? You. Right? <laughs> you do. Right. Yep. So patient comes first. That's a really common subconscious thing that is damaging to you. Second one is never show weakness. Because a lot of times the training experience is like a gladiator contest. The last man standing becomes the chief resident doesn't have to be that way it just is okay however it's important to acknowledge your own self-care needs to get them met to learn how to balance your life as you go through your training rather than try to figure it out on the far end and to to acknowledge your humanity and reach out to people who seem to be struggling and being okay to ask for help and all those kind of things to be a person a human being that is also someone who sometimes is a doctor I'm sure looking back on your path into medicine and your pre-med world as you're sitting there studying for the MCAT and you're going through medical school and you're studying for the boards and you're you're doing your your rotations in the hospital it it, it seems to just engulf you how how is a student that 
is told that to be a physician, you need to work the hardest and be the best. How do you then tell that student that, no, you really don't have to be the best. You need to take care of yourself first so that you can be good for your patients. How, how do you get that into their head that it's okay to pull back a little bit? Well, and I don't associate it with pulling back personally. So uh, what, what you're doing right now is entering into, and again, this is really a common thought process too, either or, right? It's either this or it's that. It's either I'm the best in the class or I'm some sort of, you know, hippie slacker who's getting his need met on the, needs met on the beach while everybody else is in the hospital or something like that, right? It's and, right? So how can you, and this is an important question to always ask, how can I study and get the best grades possible and get enough sleep, good food, right? Spend some time with my significant other, right? And create some balance in my life. How can I do both of those things? Realizing that there's no such thing as balance in this moment. So I'm either going to be studying 100%, right? Or I'm going to be with my significant other 100%. At least I hope I can leave the studying behind and be with her 100%, mm -hmm. right? So there's no balance in the moment. But how do I take care of my needs and get the grades? How do I take care of my needs and be there for the patient? Because if you don't take care of your needs for long enough, you cannot study. You cannot be there for your patient, right? Yep. And there's also this whole, there's a whole body of knowledge and body of experience around mindfulness that can take anything you're doing in the hospital or as you're studying and make it less stressful just by noticing the way that you breathe. Noticing the way you hold stress in your shoulders or wherever else you hold it. Learning how to release stress in the moment and be present with your breathing. And so if I was going to help somebody be burnout proof as they go through, it would be to acknowledge the and of your humanity and the need to perform. To recognize when you're using the perfectionist and the lone ranger and the superhero tools and notice how to put them away. And to develop a mindfulness practice Oftentimes that's meditation or yoga. It doesn't take very long. You can do it in the moment. I teach it all the time. Develop that practice to minimize your stress as you go forward. Now, your, your faculty and your grades and everything are only interested in one aspect of this, and that's perform, perform, perform. It's up to you to actually create this balance. And that's why I have this voice where I teach people to do that because I know you're not getting it in your training. And you probably won't going forward either. They don't have time to teach you this extra body of knowledge, but it is what burnout proofs you. So it, it's more about being aware of those pitfalls and being intentional in what you're doing and, and how to avoid them and cope with them. Yeah, I think it's more to do with awareness than anything else because I could teach you the theory of burnout. I can teach you all about what causes it and all that kind of stuff. And if all you have is an intellectual understanding of what I teach you, it's of no use to you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's awareness in the moment and the actions to balance and the actions to be mindful and the actions to recognize the coping mechanism that works best in this moment. To pass this test is different than to have a good time with my kids, right? Yeah. To take care of this patient late at night is different, right, than if I'm going to then be a resident who's teaching a resident, who's a, a junior resident who's following me around. Okay. And just be, be aware of, 
of you know what you're doing and how you're doing it, what works, what doesn't. And, and again, if I was following you around on the wards, we could talk about this in real time using real examples. Right now, it all seems kind of theoretical to me and listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. What, what would you say to a student that is out on the wards and their resident or their attending is this, uh, which one did you have? It is the workaholic superhero, <laughs> emotion-free Lone Ranger perfectionist, and the, medic, the medical student's trying to practice what you're talking about and being aware and realizes, I need to eat something or I'm going to fall flat on my face and I'm going to do nobody any good. How does a student handle a situation like that? Because as as a medical student, I remember it seemed like I was just I was there to do what everybody told me to do and to make them happy, and it wasn't up to me. Yeah, some of the best people to demonstrate chronic burnout are going to be faculty that you run into. It's always true, um, and uh, I have people come up to me all the time and say, "Dyke, how am I going to make it so that I'm not like him when I graduate?" <laughs> So I can tell you, they will model burnout for you very, very well. If you're talking about simple things like food and food and water, carry some. That's all I got to say. Carry some. Uh, if you need it, it's right there, right? But there, there isn't anything. If I have two or three people on a crew, let's say it's a faculty chief resident, three residents, and two medical students around a bed, right, the way they typically do, presenting a patient. Um, if you were to look at these people, the one who are, ones who have more balanced life, who have better energy fuel tanks and who are mindful and breathing and all that kind of stuff, so you wouldn't notice the difference by looking at them. And there's nothing incompatible with the two ways of being. Um, however, there will be a difference in the quality of care that those people offer. The challenge always becomes when you see the kind of bullying and hazing behavior, pimping it's often called, right? Mm -hmm. That's something where um, uh, sometimes it's difficult to avoid the negative influence of other people who are trashed and burned out, and that's just the way they are. But uh, keep breathing. Keep breathing. Just breathe again. <laughs> Let it go. Okay, don't get wrapped up in it. Take good care of yourself. Let that person be. Don't go back at them. You're going to be okay. So breathe. Breathe. Breathe is always the right answer. Take a big breath up to the top of your head. Let me give you a specific mindful breath, okay? Is it okay if I train this? Is this okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So um, one of the things I know is that our attitudes and the things we worry about, the things that are on our to-do list, all of those things get in the way with me being present right now in this present moment because I'm thinking about what I had to do earlier today that's incomplete. Or I'm thinking about what I have to do after I'm done with this moment in time, specifically this, inter this interview, right? So it's as if you're looking out a window onto your world, a window of your awareness, and it's got dirt all over it, and everything's not particularly clear. But if you've ever seen a professional window washer, they have a sudsy wand that they, they suds the window up, and then they use a squeegee, and in one wipe, top to bottom, they clean that window completely off. I teach what's called a squeegee breath so that you can be present and release anything that doesn't need to be here right now and clean the lens of your awareness through which you view your world. Works every time you do it. It's got four parts. First part is your intention. Your intention is to release and become to the present. Let go of anything that doesn't need to be here. The second part is the breath goes all the way up to the top of your head 
And then as you exhale, it goes all the way down to the bottom of your toes. So it's full body. The third is, as you take this exhale, imagine there's a squeegee wiping you clean and give up to the squeegee, anything that doesn't need to be here right now. And then at the bottom, when you start to breathe back in again, just let the corners of your mouth curl up a little bit and say, ah. So let me take you through this. The only thing to add is that at the top we hold it for two and at the bottom we hold it for two. And let's go. You want to breathe with me? You ready? Sure. Okay, great. Take a big deep breath all the way into the top of your head and hold it two, three. And now release and exhale all the way down the front of your body, all the way out to your toes, all the way out to the tips. Two, three. And now let your breathing resume itself. Corners of your mouth curls up. You just say, ah. It just you naturally start to smile and feel better. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So if your intention is to release, you go top to bottom and smile. You will feel better, be more present, less stressed out every single time you take that breath. And you know what? You are going to take that breath anyhow. This is just a different way of doing it. Be more intentional about it. Yeah, and you can do this with 10 people watching you and they'd never know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, Dyke, where can listeners find more about you and what you teach? Yeah, my website's called thehappymd.com. So, T-H-E, happymd.com. And there are all sorts of resources there that are what I call mini trainings. It's like a six-minute video and a handout, and it teaches you how to deal with upset patients, for instance. That one's called the Universal Upset Patient Protocol. And uh, things about life balance and scheduling and this breathing technique and all sorts of things. And also, um, I always offer a free one-hour phone call to talk to anybody who feels like they'd like to talk to me about your own stress and burnout levels. I've talked to medical students, residents, pre-med folks, faculty, people all over the world. So if you're um, in a situation right now where you're feeling like you're flirting with burnout and you want some specific tools on how to move in a different direction, there's a way for you to contact me on the website and we can get together on a phone call just like this interview today. Okay. And I'll have links to all those in the show notes for the, the listeners. They can link up to all that. And, and I'll put your, your Twitter and everything else on there. Okay, great. Awesome. Any other last tidbits of wisdom for the listeners? Yeah, I would say that that... Probably the healthiest perspective is that you are not a doctor. <laughs> You're a human being, a person with a larger life who's chosen to practice the craft of medicine as the way you make a difference in the world. However, it's not who you are. It's a skill set that you're going to learn and use in appropriate circumstances. And the most important thing is to be able to shut that off when it's time to shut it off and relax into the rest of you and to keep that rest of you active and vibrant and uh, fulfilling along the way. Because being a doctor is supposed to enable you to have a rocking life, not be something that dominates that life and drains you of your energy. It's possible to have the best of both worlds. All right, so that was Dr. Drummond with a ton of great information. Again, all the links that we talked about, his website, his Twitter profile, you can find those at the show notes, which are medicalschoolhq.net slash 47. If you liked what Dr. Drummond said, go say hi to him on Twitter. Let him know you heard about him and heard the podcast here at uh, the Medical School HQ podcast. 
and uh, just say hello. As I always ask, I hope you continue the conversation with us. You can do that in multiple ways. You can go to the show notes page, which I just mentioned, medicalschoolhq.net slash 47, and start leaving some comments there. You can hit us up on Twitter. We're at medicalschoolhq, or you can shoot us an email. My name, or my email is ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you got a ton of great information. I hope you use this information to help prevent a lot of undue stress and a lot of burnout in the future. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 